Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yep. Can I start with this mic first? Then I'll sit down in a minute. <laughs> so now, no one's coming on my retreat now <laughs> after you hear that story. <laughs> yeah. So I moved to Baton Rouge in 1985. A young man, much better looking than I am now, at age 28, and I became the assistant pastor at a place called the chapel on the campus. So all the people who are movers and shakers in this city, uh, I know who they are. And in fact, many of you have roots in the Vineyard Church. And the Vineyard started right up in front of my face as I came to the chapel on the campus. About 30 people were leaving to go start the Vineyard. And I was just a young kid. I didn't know anything. I just watched all these people leaving. And people said, well, here's what's going on. And so I spent nine years at the chapel, and it turned out to be phase one of God doing some work in my life. I worked on under a most beloved pastor here in town who is no longer with us, Donald Tabb, who led thousands of people to Christ in this city. A fisher of men. And God took him home when he was out fishing with the man that led him to Christ. They both drowned in the river and went to heaven together. And they probably screamed with joy as God said, Well, you led Donald here and now you're here together. They probably couldn't believe it. They started it together. They finished it together. And uh, it's really a blessed story that hardly any of us cried because it was just too wonderful to know. So phase one of God working in my life was that he set up a, he set up a process by which he would bring me to the end of myself. But myself was selfish ambition and a pride that deep inside of me I just thought if Donald Tab would get out of my way I could really take the chapel on the campus places they've never been to which God rolled his eyes in heaven and thought well okay we'll have to fix this <laughs> and um it took me a few years working there before I realized what my job was. My job at the chapel on the campus was to go to the back door and shut it. Every church has a front door, and it's a great front door, but every church has a back door. And when you come in, you're all excited. The worship's great. The preaching's great. Oh, look who's here. Look who's here. My friends are here. And you're all excited about church. But if we don't change your life... Within a few months, emotionally, you've already gone out the back door. And if we still don't change your life, then in a few more months, physically, you're out the back door and we never see you again. My job was to go shut that door and go to the front door and start building processes to get people into encounters with God. But even then, I didn't know much about that. So we did more programming than we did finding God. And in the process, God revealed who I was and how broken I was, how self-centered I was, what a narcissistic beavis I was. And stage one of God working in my life, he delivered me from that selfish ambition, broke me, crushed me, left me in this place where I decided if I never preach again, God, that'll be okay. I'll just work with small groups of men if that's what you want me to do. And six months later, a church in Covington called me 
And so I moved my family to Covington thinking, hey, I've got a promotion. I'm now, having learned my lesson, now I'm going to be the pastor and we'll see what God will do. And God, once again in heaven, rolled his eyes and said, no, there's only one man probably between Houston and Atlanta who could help me. And he was in Metairie. And now I'm just a bridge drive away from him. Four months into pastoring, I resigned because of sexual sin. So for the next few months after resigning, I wrestled more with whether to commit suicide or keep going to counseling. And after about four or five months, I settled in. I settled in, and I did my work. That's right. I finally did my work. And when I say my work, I'm not talking about the opposite of grace. No, it's still a move of grace to do your work. The work is you've got to go into your story. You've got to find your strongholds, and then you tear them down. So I did my work. My marriage was saved because my wife is strong and amazing, not because I did anything. I looked like a zombie for the next several months and into years while I did my work. She took care of the kids, and we stayed together. And you can all go bless her after the service and tell her thank you. In fact, one of my friends says, I think we ought to have a Cindy Featherston day here at church. And just honor her for standing with me while I was so checked out and so broken. So stage one, back at the chapel, God revealed to me who it is that's living in me, that Christ is my life. I don't live for him. He lives the Christian life for me, working in me, expressing his life through me. So if you're working for Jesus, well, your work is coming. Stage two was now... Get into your story, discover your strongholds, and tear them down. So the work I do today is I help people know their stories. I do story work counseling. I don't even have a degree in counseling. I don't need one. I'm going to help you understand your story. And as you tell me your story, I'll see the place where you've got to tear a stronghold down and get healed. So that's what I do today, and it's great stuff. So along the way, I've learned a lot of things. My life verse became Jeremiah 33, 3. Cry out to me, and I'll answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things you've never seen. So I have a lot of great and mighty things I show people. I came up with diagrams that are unique. I didn't get them out of a book. They came from inspiration of the Holy Spirit, trying to help people understand things. So I teach, draw diagrams. I even write upside down. It fascinates you for a few seconds. I help people know their story, and I help people do their work. I want to show you a way to pray today and teach you something that uh, hopefully will be helpful, especially praying for your children, praying for your grandchildren, praying for yourself. I'd like to show you a prayer. But to begin with, we're going to start in switching microphones. Okay. Because that one's closer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to like it today. Anytime something doesn't make sense, you just say it, and I'll make sure it does. Okay, let's start with um, looking at a passage in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's come to a city. I can imagine they've sat down to have some lunch and just checking their pulse and figuring out what's going on to see if they understand what's going on, because he already knows the hearts of men, Jesus asked them, so, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing out there? 
Who do people think I am? Because what's he doing? He's doing miracles. He's teaching in ways that people recognize he's got authority. So he says, who, do the, uh, who, do you, who are people saying I am? And they say a couple of answers. Then Jesus looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? And in a flash of brilliance, Simon Peter says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. So Peter has the right answer. He says exactly, we know who you are. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one who's come. You're the son of the living God. So verse 17 then says, um, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah is Hebrew for son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's how you want to know everything in life. The whole Christian life, you want to receive it by revelation from the Holy Spirit. In fact, I talk a lot about identity and teach identity, but I can't teach you your identity. It's spirit taught. Spirit dash taught. One word. Learn that. That's a great word. Spirit taught. Anything God's going to teach you about who you are in Him and who He is in you, it's going to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. I was preaching that one time in Covington. I said, where the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your hearts and you see something. I had a real sharp lawyer on the front row. He goes, you don't need to take notes. I said, What'd you say? He said, you don't need to take notes. And I burst out laughing. I shared with the whole congregation. I said, yeah, when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your hearts to show you something, it'll be so powerful, you won't need to take notes. You can drop your pen. Simon Peter got revelation from God telling him and confirming in his heart, yes, Peter, you are walking with the Messiah it's him. He's here. You've got it. So with that revelation, it was settled in Simon's heart. So look what Jesus says now in the next verse, verse 18. He says, I also say to you, and he starts making a play on his name, because Peter means uh, stone. And so he says, I'm going to say to you, little stone man, Upon this rock you just discovered, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build a church upon this rock. And he's playing with his name. But right here, the whole world's been confused for 2,000 years. All right, all of our Catholic family and friends say, oh, see, see, see right here, Peter is the rock. God's going to build the church on him. He's the first pope. All right, now we Protestants say, oh, no, no, y'all got it all wrong. The rock is the declaration, the theological ground being laid by saying Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because if he's not Christ, the Son of the living God, what are you believing in? So the rock is the doctrinal foundation that Christ is the Son of the living God. Then I read a book where the author said, hey, I think we're both wrong. <laughs> we're both wrong. What if the rock that God's going to build His church on is the new way of relating to God where the Father and the Holy Spirit give you Spirit-taught truth? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And here's what's going to be good. You're not going to follow a law written on tablets. Now you're going to follow a life that's in you. And you're going to know me and hear me and follow me. And that's the new way we're going to do relationship with God. Yeah, what if that is the rock? Well, you get that rock in your life. Notice the second thing there, Jesus then says, you get that, you build your life around revelation from me and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Wow, yeah, that's our problem. <laughs> the gates of Hades, we're not knocking them down. First of all, though, where are the gates of anything? 
Do you drive down the highway and say, here's a nice place, let's put up a gate? No, the gate's back at your house to keep things and people out. You know, you build a wall. So, so where's the gate? The gate is right near Satan's house. What's on the other side of the gate? All of our friends and family, even believers, are on the other side of the fence who need to be snatched from the fire because they've never torn down their strongholds. Ooh, yeah, it's even nasty to be a pastor on the other side of the gate. So who's on offense according to this verse? Who's on offense? <laughs> we are. We're on offense because we're storming the gates. We're on offense, going to tear them down, knock them down, and snatch people from the fire and bring them into freedom into who Christ is. Look at the next verse. Do I have verse 20 next? Yeah. Then, and this is just for them at this time, then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Why? Because of the rock he's building his church on. It's like... He said, you got it, Peter. You got it from the Father. I want everybody else to get it from the Father, so don't even say anything. Don't go tell people who I am. We'll just let them watch, let them pray, let them wrestle with it, and let them get revelation that I am the Christ. So don't go tell anybody. Let's go build on this new rock, the rock that you will get what you know of me from the Father himself. Okay, next slide. I forgot where I'm going. Verse 19, we'll go back. Oh, well, here's our passage for today. Yeah, good thing I remembered. Okay, verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Well, that doesn't sound very important, does it? I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I read that and thought about this one day and thought, how come I went all through seminary and no one ever told me this? No one ever preached on this? And then everything I heard about it was wacko anyway. Here's the keys of the kingdom. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. He changes verb tenses there. Whatever you today bind on earth, you can bank on it. It has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, just to let you know, it will have already been loosed in heaven. You're just walking with us and whatever you're binding and loosing, thy will be done on earth as it has already been done in heaven. So we're going to bind and we're going to loose. So, let's close in prayer and go do it. <laughs> what is it? What is, what is binding and loosing? I've heard crazy stuff. And I decided, you know what, this got to make sense somewhere. In fact, I preached this sermon just one time before back in March. And I really talked to myself out of preaching it twice. Because I'd get online to get a little research, you know, just wacky stuff online. But then there's good stuff there if you go to the right places. Every time I kept looking up some Greek word or an understanding, no one believed what I was believing about it. Then I heard a lady with pink hair on TV one day praying, and I thought, she just prayed it. She just prayed what I believe. All right, I'm going to preach it anyway now. So I preached it. So this is the second time to tell people what I've learned. So here's Jesus. He says, here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's got to be important. And he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right, then there's no explanation. He didn't say, uh, I spoke on this a few weeks ago. Go play the tape. And, and uh, you know, there was no explanation at all. He just lays this out there. So don't get creative and go make stuff up. You have to figure out, okay, these 12 disciples... What do they know? What are they already carrying in their minds so when he just says, go bind some stuff and lose some stuff, what would they think? Every Hebrew child heard a prayer twice a day 
It was spoken every morning and it was spoken every evening in the home. And if your father was a religious leader, you heard it four times a day. They said this prayer over and over and over again, and it's from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's go look at it. It's called in Hebrew the Shema. The Shema, because they just titled things on the first word that was in there. The first word in Hebrew, Shema, is hear. Hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That just means all the pagan religions around them had one name for a multi-phased kind of God or they had one God with ten names or they had ten gods like the Egyptians had lots of gods. Everybody had lots of gods. And this was God's way of saying to Israel, I am one and I'm the one and only. I'm the one and only God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We said, oh, we've heard that. Jesus has quoted that. Let's keep going. What else does it say? These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And that's why the Jewish people did it twice a day. At night and in the morning. Because when does the Jewish day begin? Sunrise? No, sunset. You know, the Sabbath, the true Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. The day for God began with the sun going down. So when does our day begin? Our day begins when the alarm clock goes up and we wake up screaming like we've been jolted out of bed and we've already got a headache and we're irritated now. And we start the day like that. That's the wrong way. You can start the day at sundown. So this always bothered me. I could never get up and have devotions at 5 o'clock in the morning. Golly, I just hated all those guys and gals who could. I, was just, I just didn't like it. Then I discovered the day begins at sundown. So I thought, oh, I'll beat them all. I'll have my devotions at 9 o'clock at night. I'll do so. Anyway, that was a great revelation. Wiped away a lot of shame and guilt. Okay. <laughs> then, look at verse 8. He says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they, what are they? These commands I'm giving you. God's word. God's command. God's moral principles. That's all of the book of Deuteronomy. And all of through Leviticus. All of the moral law of God that God had given through Moses to the people. He said, Now, Read this all the time. Read it to your children coming and going in the morning, in the evening. And bind them on your hand like in whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Bind it as frontals on your forehead. And then they got literal with it. You ever seen those little boxes? They tie around their forehead. And, uh, you know, it seems silly to us, but I heard a Jewish man say, Oh, no, Carter, it's very wonderful when you do that. Like, okay, you can do that. But they would put scripture verses in these little boxes and then wear the box around their forehead. They took it literally, bind it around your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Every Jewish child heard this prayer morning and evening, morning and evening, every day of their lives, take the word of God, bind it around your hand, bind it around your mind. And we're going to see a couple other places here in a minute. This was on their minds. When Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, the first thing they would have thought of without any other explanation from Christ, was the Shema. We take God's Word and we bind it to ourselves. And so the book of Proverbs, it appears three times, the very same kind of words in Proverbs, where, of course, what is Proverbs? But fathers teaching their sons how to walk in the wisdom of the law of Moses. And so three times in Proverbs, it says, 
Take the law. Write it upon your heart. Write it upon your mind. Wrap it around your hands. Bind God's word to your heart, to your mind, and to your hands and walk in it. Apostle Paul said, set your mind on things above. That's the New Testament equivalent of binding the word of God to your life. So what do you bind? The word of God, the purposes of God, the moral law of God. You bind to your heart and mind what he's already told you what to do. Then wrap it around you so you walk in it. Then, there's even more. Look at this in Isaiah 61. Remember Isaiah 61, where that appear in the Gospels? The day Jesus launched his ministry and said, I'm here to do it now. He told the uh, scribes in the uh, synagogue up in Nazareth, he said, bring me the scrolls that have Isaiah and they brought it to him. He rolled it till he found it. And he stood up and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's the same word. So after you bind the Word of God to yourself, then you go out and you find people who are brokenhearted and you bind them up with what? Jordan Peterson, you know, a good book from a psychologist. You bind them up with the Word of God. You bind them up and they are broken hearted. I heard John Eldridge speak on that one time in person. The word broken, he says, is a Hebrew word for war. It's like smashed, bursted up and destroyed. That kind of hearted person, they've really been shattered. You know, today in the Christian church, we've got lots of people who have been through divorces. Your hearts have been shattered, broken, smashed. There's been abuse in our homes, so much hard, hard stuff that's happened. And we come to church and many of us are broken hearted and they'll be right out the back door if we don't find a way to heal broken hearted people. We bind them up, but not with worldly thoughts of, oh, well, you know, uh, God gave you that cancer to help you grow. What? No, he didn't. I don't want to worship that God then. Uh, what? Bind them up with the Word of God. Bind them up with truth. Bind them up with bold encouragement from God's Word. And proclaim liberty to captives. Captives are bound up. And freedom to prisoners. So we're binding people up who've been hurt. And one more verse, Psalm 147, verse 3. He, it starts off, 147 says, Praise the Lord. He heals the brokenhearted, there it is again, and binds up their wounds. This is the ministry. What do you do? You learn your story. Find your pain. Heal your wounds with Christ. Then you help others know their stories. Find their wounds. Get healed. That's the problem in the church today. We've got broken people who are trying to pastor and they haven't done their work. I'm not talking about pastors only. I didn't want to be saying, hey, I'm talking about Stacy right now. <laughs> I'm talking universally around the, the world. I had to leave the ministry because I didn't know my story. Dan Allender says, you know, we all don't know our stories very well. You ask men to tell their stories, men won't tell them well. You'll minimize everything. I just did what I call an intensive. I counseled people for like 11 hours over two days. 
and uh, we get into your whole story and I got a homework assignment so they map out their whole life story and they take three hours walking me through their whole story and my mother-in-law said gosh that sounds exhausting I said no it's liberating it's liberating and free I finished up Friday with this guy and he goes man Carter I didn't know my story if you would have told me Tell me about your life. I would have said, oh, you know, my life was pretty good. My mom and dad were okay. But when I mapped this out, my whole story, oh, my gosh, Carter, my life was horrible. It was painful. My dad was an alcoholic for the first six or seven years. We worked in this store where dad did this and mom did that, and they just shooed me away, and I was born. I had... I had bad teeth. I was red-headed. When I got glasses, they were Coke bottle glasses. I was an ugly little misfit. I hated my life. And I've been trying to run from that all my life instead of get healed from that sometime in life. Oh, yeah. It was exciting. It was exciting. If you come to my retreat, I have you fill out this little profile. And the question, one of the second question is, tell me about the home you grew up in. Would you want a parent like your, your parents? People do this all the time. They say, I had a pretty good life, period. <laughs> but my father was an alcoholic and my mom and dad fought all the time. And they, and they go on and they tell this horrible tale of woe. And it's just amazing. The first sentence is always, I had a pretty good life. And then they belie that with everything they say for the next six or seven sentences. It's like that's all we are. Our knee-jerk reaction is to always think, oh, my life is pretty good. No, it wasn't. He was full of pain and full of hurt. You were mocked. You were bullied. You were rejected and betrayed. Your mother looked and said, you're not wearing that, are you? <sighs> then your dad said, that's the wrong screwdriver, you idiot. And you spent all your life getting hurt, getting hurt, getting hurt, getting hurt. And then you found Christ. And he saved you from your sins. Now he wants you to do your work so he can save you from yourself. So, that's his business that he's in. That's the business we are in. Healing the brokenhearted. You know, what business are we in as a church? You know, what, what business is it? Make disciples, right? Jesus said, all right, I'm leaving now. Here's the last word instruction. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, make disciples. I'll see you later. And don't worry, i got all the power you need and all the authority you need. It's in me. You walk in me, you'll have it. So what business are we in? Making disciples. Okay. How's business? You know, how we doing? We got to heal brokenhearted, bind up their wounds. Because most of the church are the walking wounded, aren't they? I mean, just looking at you, I can tell you're wounded. We've all been hurt. Everybody's got pain, everybody's got hurt, and everybody's got flesh. And we got to have the ways to find it, see it, discover it. And especially we men, we need help because we'll never tell our story very well. We won't understand it very well unless someone comes along and says, wait, 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 point this out. Wait, describe that again. Wait, tell me that again. Like, you know, a guy's wounded when he talks about an abusive move by his father and then laughs. He goes, yeah, well, my father used to beat me up a lot. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. Why'd you just laugh? Wait, 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 wait. You just told me that your father was hurtful and then you laughed. Okay, come here, come here. We're, we're not letting that sit. What's going on? Where do you hurt? Let's be honest. Okay. That's binding. We take the Word of God. We bind it to our lives so that it is working itself into us so that I think that way, I believe that way, and I walk that way. And then I meet others who've been wounded along the road and I take the Word of God and bind up their hearts to get them to stand in the strength of Christ. And we walk together. So what is loosing then? The keys of the kingdom are binding and loosing. So what's the loosing business? Well, 
in the Hebrew, these words are also just literal words for like taking a rope and binding up an animal, binding it to a fence post. Uh, even Lazarus was bound up in his grave clothes, and Jesus said, loose them off of him. So uh, in, the, in the coming together of the Hebrew and Greek, it's, it's always interesting to see how the ancient scholars translated the Hebrew into, into Greek and what they did, which Greek words they chose. And uh, we see that um, loosing meant the complete opposite of binding. To loose was to undo the rope around the post and let the animal go free. You, um, I do have glasses. You untied, loosen the rope, loosen the chain, unwrap to release that which is bound. Then, as a figure of speech, sometimes loose meant to break off and to destroy something. If you destroy something that is binding another object, when you destroy it and break it off, the object now is free to go. So, to loose something was just the opposite of binding it. You tied it up or you untied it and let it go. Okay. What would the mosaic mind think of that? The Hebrew mind. These kids growing up who are now walking with Christ, they've heard the Shema twice a day all of their lives. They knew when you say binding, you're talking about binding God's Word. What would they have thought about loosing? Well, there is a famous passage in Isaiah. Let's look at that one, Isaiah 58. This is where God is talking about fasting. And some of the people say, well, we like to fast. And, Jesus, and God, Yahweh said, well, you know, I'm not so impressed with all your fasts. Here's the kind of fast I would like. And he says in verse 6, is this not the fast which I choose? That you would loosen the bonds of wickedness. And there's our word. Loosen the bonds of wickedness. Galatians 6.1 says, hey, if you find someone who is caught up in sin... You who are spiritual, restore that one. Restore that one. Yes. So what are you doing in that? You're loosing the bonds of wickedness in their life. You're helping them understand their story. I named my ministry Restore One. As I was thinking about a name, I'm driving down the, across the Causeway Bridge when... Pastor Green from New Orleans. Remember old Pastor Green? Great man of God. Had the faith church over there. I'm driving down, and after I resigned because of my sin, my wife and I were pretty much abandoned by everybody. Everybody got away from us like we had leprosy. And I'm driving down the road, and Pastor Green says, What do you do with a man who's fallen in sin? A man who's entangled in sin? What does the Bible say? And I'm driving thinking, yeah, yeah, what does it say? And he said, the word says, restore that man. You who are spiritual, restore that man. And I thought to myself, wow, there are not too many spirituals in the church. Because no one restored us. No, a, a handful. I mean, our friends were far and few between. One of them was Bobby. Bobby came over. Oh, Bobby, he's my, he was my first friend in town. Bobby, where's your hand? We played golf every Tuesday. I found out when I took Tuesday off at the chapel, he took Tuesdays off because he and his wife had a, a formal bridal wear and tuxedo rental. So he took tuxedos in on Monday, and he was ready to play golf on Tuesday. So, hey, my first friend is here today. We didn't find too many spirituals in the church. Very few people walked with us. Praise God, Jim Dixon met me for lunch every day, every Thursday for like three years. He sat down and said, God told me to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to call you every once in a while and say, hey man, how's it going? I'm going to be with you. And he came and he accepted me every Thursday. If I was angry, if I was depressed, if I was doing good, if I was sad, if I was angry, depressed, sad, doing good, every Thursday he just took me as I was and just loved me and walked with me. 
he helped loosen the bonds of wickedness, which is what my counselor was really doing. We were working on why I got into the wickedness that I did, what had me bound up, and it was all my shame. It's all your shame. It starts with your shame. How do you like shame? I don't. It's painful. So what am I going to do? I'm going to find a way to cope. I'm going to find a strategy to get some winning in because my shame makes me lose all the time. Only problem is your coping strategy to win a little bit is called the flesh. So your problem's only getting worse. Someone's got to get in there and help you understand the wicked journey you've walked. Now, other people have been wicked to you, but in response, you develop your own wicked response. And we've got to unravel all of that, and you've got to, you've got to first get healed so you can then forgive, because you can't forgive until you've been healed. Do you know that? That's why people say, oh, forgiveness is a long, long journey. Well, of course it is, because you never got healed. You keep forgiving, and then you forgive again, and then a few months later, you forgive again. Remember, you've been on that journey, haven't you? And God's up in heaven saying, watch, watch, watch old Carter try to forgive this guy. Watch, watch, watch. You'll never get there. Watch. Why? Why is it so hard? Because he wants me to come to the Father, get in his lap, and let the Father heal my heart. He wants his intimacy, then some activity. Yeah, go get your intimacy. Get healed from whoever hurt you. And then when it doesn't hurt, you can forgive them. Let them go. So you got to get your healing, then do your forgiveness work, then find the lies you bought all your life and renounce the lies. Cancel them. Say, no more, no more. I renounce this. I renounce that. I renounce these lies. And you loosen the bonds of wickedness and undo the bands of the yoke. And help the oppressed get free. Demonic spirits step in all along the way. In fact, Paul said there's two ways the demonic show up in life. And both of those two ways, he was talking about unforgiveness and bitterness. So help the oppressed go free and let's break every yoke. Wow, that's our work. And I went all through Christian college, Bible college first. I'm, I'm so holy. I went to Bible college. Then I went to a Christian college. Then I went to seminary. Yes, yes. <laughs> and no one helped me. And I didn't trust anybody to ask for help because I could tell you don't have anything to help me. No one can deal with what I'm dealing with. That's why I say the man that helped me was probably the only man between Houston and Atlanta who had the addiction training that I needed. And that's why God moved me to Covington. <laughs> Not so I could be a great and famous pastor, but I'd be closer when I crashed to the only man who could help me. I'd like to honor the name of Ben Lakata today. Ben was the man. Okay, what else have we got? There's even more. Let's go to the New Testament. Did you get Revelation 1.5, Christy? Yeah. And uh, this is the very beginning of Revelation. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. That means he resurrected first. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and loosed us from our sins by His blood. The Greek word there is the same one they use to translate the Hebrew into Greek. And that's the Greek word then that matches up with loose. Point is, Jesus first loosed us from our sins by His death on the cross. Alright, let's go to Luke 13. Luke 13, Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. Uh-oh, on the Sabbath. That made the religious people mad. And, this, and then so Jesus is rebuking them and say, this woman, she's a daughter of Abraham like we are, men and sons and daughters of Abraham. She gets just as much right to walk in grace and freedom as we do. She's a daughter of Abraham. But Satan has bound her for 18 long years. Jesus identified that her disease was from a demonic spirit. He cast the demon out. She was bent over. She stood upright. And Jesus says, should she not have been loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? You think on the Sabbath day I can't set a woman free from a demonic spirit? Good grief, you Pharisees. Y'all are like Pharisees. So, 
Loosing, loosing. What do you do to loose? You set people free from the demonic. You set people free from bitterness in their hearts. You set people free from their sins. And then one last one, 1 John 3.8. I hope you saw the first, Chris. You did, good. <laughs> 1 John 3.8, he says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to loose the works of the devil. There's our same Greek word. Destroying the works of the devil is loosening. It's the loosing idea. So to loose meant to untie something, but it also means to unravel, break apart, pull it apart, cleanse someone, and destroy the work of the enemy. I'm going to destroy the work of the enemy. And when I meet with these people that I counsel with, the prayers, people often say, well, Carter, pray over me. I say, I'm not going to pray over you. Nothing happens when I pray over you. You need to pray. And here's what you need to pray about. Here's this story. I'm going to guide you. Just bow your head. Repeat after me. And I lead people back through hurtful memories and guide them in prayers that destroy what, God is, what Satan has been doing in their lives. We destroy the works of the devil with our prayers, with our renunciations, with our pronunciations, when we loosen His work, we're doing it in the power of prayer and healing. That's our work. That's our work. Binding and loosing. So, when we do this, it's, I mentioned at the beginning, this is for prayer. Here's a prayer I wrote for one of my children years ago after I had done some study on breaking strongholds. And in the prayer, I bind truth to my daughter. I said, Lord, I pray for Megan and I thank you and I believe you and I speak the truth to bind Megan. And I got all this from a book. I didn't make it up. That you have redeemed her, you've called her by name, and she is yours. Bind that around your children. When you're dressing your children for school, you say, God has redeemed you, He's called you by name, and you are His. Never forget who you are. Never forget who you belong to. When you pass through the waters, you'll be, He will be with you. When you go through the rivers, it will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. The flame will not burn you, for you belong to the Lord our God, the Holy One of Israel. He's your Savior. You are precious in His sight. You are honored and He loves you. That's Isaiah 43, 1-4. Take the Word of God. Pray a doctrinal prayer, prayer and bind the Word to our children. Then the prayer goes on to say, I bind myself, my body, soul, and spirit. I bind it to the will and the purposes of God. When, when, remember back in the binding, what did you bind? You bound the Word of God. You bound what you were reading in the Law of Moses. Well, what was the Law of Moses telling you to do? Live this way. Walk this way. Then bind yourself to that. I bind my mind, will, and emotions to the will of the Father. I bind my mind. Today we can do this. I bind it to the mind of Christ. That the very thoughts and the feelings and the purposes of my heart would be lined up with the mind of Christ. I bind myself, we can do this one today, I bind myself to my righteous identity in Christ. How many of you need help with that because you don't believe it? Yeah, remember your spirit has been infused with the life of Christ. Right now, you are a holy, righteous man, woman of God. Oh, Carter, you didn't see me yesterday. That is okay. You were a holy, righteous woman of God yesterday when you bit your child's head off, but you just betrayed your true self. You were still a holy, righteous woman of God when you did it. You're a holy, righteous woman of God, man of God, because you have received a holy, righteous life in your spirit, not in your soul. In your spirit, what's in your soul? Strongholds, brokenness, bitterness, unforgiveness, woundedness, shame. Well, why didn't God get rid of that? Well, you wouldn't meet with Him then. He puts His life in your spirit so you too can go out and play in the soul for the rest of your life. Cleansing, cleansing, cleansing. Repenting, breaking, smashing, healing, binding. Yeah, 
You and your soul are where you and Jesus get to go play every day for the rest of your life. This is a way of living. What I do is a way of living. If you come on my retreat and then just go home and blow it off, your life won't change. It takes a year and a half to three years to change at the level of identity. Even good little godly people, it takes you three, one and a half to three years. If it's an addiction, five years of focused work changing at the level of identity. Well, Carter Wolf, I just got slain in the spirit and I got it all right there in one fell swoop. <laughs> you won't. It won't happen. Rodney Howard Brown knocked me down personally three times. I went down on that ground as a sex addict. I got up off that floor still a sex addict. I didn't get healed on the floor. It's not how God does it. You know what addiction's all about? Immaturity. <laughs> yeah. So you do some carpet time and get up, you've cheated it again. You've cheated the system again. You have to walk out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's code language for trusting the Holy Spirit. That'll be another sermon one day. In fear and trembling, you've got to walk out what God did on the carpet. You, you didn't get it there and get up and suddenly you're 24 years more emotionally mature? No, God doesn't do it that way. That would be cheating and cheating you. You got to get up and walk in it. You got to walk it out day by day. It's a work of grace in your heart in which you're learning to trust grace daily, daily, daily till grace transforms you. That's another sermon, Titus 2. I bind myself to the righteous identity in Christ. I bind myself to the truth that He and I are one with each other. I bind myself to the truth that His life is my life. See Him? I bind my feet to paths of righteousness that my steps would be steady and sure. I bind myself to the work of the cross with all of its mercy and grace, its love and forgiveness and the death of my old self. Then I loose all old wrong thinking. I loose every ungodly pattern of thinking, attitudes of selfishness. I loose from me every fleshly desire and motivation and purpose. I loose the power and effects of other people's words spoken over me. Harsh words, ugly words, condemning words, mocking words. I loose the power of those words off of me. I loose from my mind the confusion and blindness from the God of this world. I loose the power and effects of vows and ugly words I spoke after others spoke ugly to me. I loose the enemy's influence through the world's music and movies. I loose off of my mind all ungodly ways of living and thinking and even the coarse talk of all my friends and co-workers. You know, some of you go to work with some ungodly people and they just foul mouth with terrible stories. You hate Monday mornings because they come in and laugh about their ungodly ways all weekend and it grieves you, it breaks your heart because you know... They're not living the dream. They're living the nightmare and they just don't know any better. I loose now. You can loose demonic spirits. I loose a demonic spirit. Spirits of pride. Spirits of death and suicide. Spirits of fear. How many of you had your junior high student child say to you one day, I hate my life. I just want to die. I had two of my children say that. Ooh, we talked quickly there in the car. No, no. You're not going to speak like that. Don't talk like that. Renounce that now. Cindy, my wife, got into, what was that phrase? I'm glad that's not true. Well, I canceled that. I canceled that. So the daughter would say, I want to kill myself. I canceled that in Jesus' name. That word will not reign in the car or in our home. So how do you pray for yourself? You bind the truth of God. You bind your identity in Christ. You bind good things from God's Word. You loose ungodly thinking, ungodly ways, ungodly thoughts, ungodly desires, ungodly behaviors. Bind Him, loose the enemy's stuff. How do you pray for children the same way? I heard this from years ago. A guy in Covington said, man, I learned this from Don Griffin. He said, do you like folding your kids' clothes? He said, no, I hate it. I wish my wife would do it. He said, Don Griffin told me I fold my kids' clothes and I'm 
praying for them. When you're folding your children's socks, Lord, I bind these socks on those feet to paths of righteousness. I bind these pants. I bind these shirts, these shoes. I bind, pray for your children while you're folding their clothes and bind them to the Word of God and loose the enemy's influence that they pick up at school. So, how would you like to do this one time together? Would you like to just do a prayer together? All right, we'll just do what I've just done here. We'll kind of repeat it. You want to just rise up? You want to come down front? You want to stand near me? You want to just stay where you are? Ephesians 2, 6 says, God raised us up and seated us with Him in heavenly places, didn't He? Yes. He raised us up and seated us. How do you get to the throne to live like that? You get up there by declaring it. All right? So I'm going to lead us in a declaration and take us to the throne. We're going to sit up there. From the throne, we're going to stand with Christ and stand up and exercise authority over our lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's up to you to reign over your life. I can't reign over your life for you. i got a big enough mess just myself. So... Let's go to the throne by declaration. It goes like this. I'm going to say, I am, and you repeat, I am, and I want you to state your first, middle, if you're married, maiden, and last name, all right? I am, state your name. Why do we do that? Just letting letting the enemy know that you know who you are and you know where you stand. And it's this Carter Miller Featherston who's standing up against you. Just in case you know another Carter Featherston, there's one in England. There is one. I found him on Facebook. Reached out to him and he ignored me. Okay. He could have been blessed. Okay. Let's do it again. I am, state your name. And I'm a holy, righteous person of God. Because a holy, righteous life is in me. I'm one with Jesus Christ. His life is my life. He bought me with His blood, filled me with resurrection life. Then He raised me up and seated me here with Him on His very throne. So I say to all my enemies, I know where I sit. You now know that I know. And look where I'm sitting far above all principalities and powers his life is my life his throne is my throne I'm a king because anybody sitting on a throne is a king right I'm sitting with the king of kings and hear me now I bind my body soul and spirit to the will and the purposes of God. I bind my mind, will, and emotions to the godly will of God my Father. I bind my mind to the mind of Christ that my thoughts and feelings and the purposes of my heart would come from him and his mind I bind myself to my righteous identity that I might live and walk as him with him as my life I bind my feet to paths of righteousness I bind myself to the work of the cross with all of its mercy and grace, its love and forgiveness, and the death of my old life. Now let's loose. I loose every old, wrong, ungodly pattern of thinking. I loose ungodly attitudes. I loose every fleshly desire every fleshly motivation 
and every fleshly purpose. I loose the power and the effects of deceptions and lies. I loose them from my mind and cancel all confusion and blindness from the God of this world. I loose the power and the effects of harsh and hurtful words spoken over me spoken to me and I loose the enemy's influence through music and movies through the ugly talk of friends and co-workers and I tell every demonic spirit that is in or around me your anti-ministry is over I'm walking in my identity in Christ and I tell you shut up and get out of my life I bind and loose these things in Jesus name because he gave me the keys to do so in his name we speak it amen bless you as you bind and loose with the keys of the kingdom amen 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 Visit cedarhousechurch.com.